have a seed. Good morning. If you'd turn your Bible to Mark chapter 1, this time the children can be dismissed and the youth can be dismissed. So we're beginning a new series this week in the book of Mark. So Mark chapter 1 And we'll go to verse 11. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness, and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you, I am well pleased. Well, uh, some of us are more talkative than others. It's traditionally said, said that women talk more than men. There's a statistic that was cited that Women talk about 20,000 words a day, and men talk about 7,000. Well, it's not actually true. They did uh, some research and found out it's not true. Women actually talk about the same amount as men. But between us, there's, we talk, some people talk more than others. Some people are more descriptive than others. And some people, if they were, if you, if you were asked them, uh, where did you get your shirt? They would go into a story, well, I was on my way to Walmart, and I went to Walmart, I couldn't find anything. I went to Kohl's and couldn't find anything. And then on my way home, I decided to stop at JCPenney. And when I was at JCPenney, it was raining, and there was wind, and I had to bring out my umbrella. And then I went in there, and I tried on a red one, and a purple one, and a green one. I didn't find the one that I wanted. Then I finally found it, but they didn't have my size, so they had to go in the back. And then I, I had to wait in line. There was this really long line, and I got to the front of the line. I had this 20% off coupon, and then they, the manager had to come and do an override. And then afterwards, I went and got a pretzel, and then I, on the way home, I got a ticket. And then finally, I got home with my shirt. Other people, you would ask the same question, and they'd say, yeah, I got it at JCPenney. And that would be it. Well, the author of the book of Mark is probably like that second person. He only includes the barest amount of details. His gospel, of the, of the gospels, the gospels are the records of Jesus' life. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the gospels. Of the gospels, Mark is by far the shortest of the gospels. He only includes the details that he wants to for his argument. For example, 
There's no record of the birth of Jesus. There's no record of the Magi, the shepherds. No record of Herod. There's no record of John's birth. All of these details are left out in Mark. And he does that so that he could communicate exactly what he wants to communicate. He's very dense. He's very terse in the way that he communicates in his book. And so he begins right with the ministry of Jesus' life. Skips right over his birth and all, all of that's involved with that. And he begins and he says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The word of gospel is an interesting word. It literally means good news. Um, and this word, the Greek word euangelion was used in a number of settings. And it was often used to describe a victory in battle. After a victorious uh, army would win a battle, messengers would be sent throughout the land to declare the good news or the euangelion. So it was used for a message of victory. It was also used uh, for another specific instance. It was used to commemorate the birthday of Caesar Augustus, the great emperor of Rome, who was considered to be a god. One ancient source wrote this, that Caesar Augustus' birthday signaled the beginning of good news for the world. So this word gospel is used in victory settings when someone wins a victorious battle. And it's used of Caesar Augustus' birthday to describe this good news. And, John, and Mark starts his gospel and he says, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's the topic that he's going to talk about, the gospel, the good news. How many of us could, hear, could uh, use to hear some good news? So we turn on the television and we see on the news you know, stories of robbery, of terrorist attacks, of murders, corruption, wars, rumors of wars. We also get a lot of bad news in our own lives. We get the bad news of the loss of a loved one, loss of a job, loss of a relationship, loss of our health. Many of us would like to hear some good news, good news in our lives. And Mark tells us that Jesus is that good news. Jesus is that gospel. And so he says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ. What's interesting about Mark's usage of the word gospel is that his usage of this word is in the singular. And in almost every other setting in Greco-Roman literature, when this word euangelion is used, it's in the plural. It's in, it's in essence, one piece of good news among many other possible pieces of good news. You know, if I gave you a $100, that would be good news for you, but it wouldn't be the only good news that you might have in your life. There'd be a lot of other pieces of good news that you could receive. But this word is in the singular, and every time it's used, or almost every time in the New Testament, it's used in the singular to, de to describe that this gospel is not one good piece of good news among many, that it is the good news. It's the only good news that matters. It's the good news that changes everything and and Mark says that this is centered around the work of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the gospel. So why is Jesus the good news? Well, Mark tells us a couple of things that indicate why Jesus is the good news. He tells us first that Jesus is holy. I mean, imagine if you were preparing to meet somebody that was really important or at least important to you. Uh, maybe you're meeting somebody really famous or maybe you're going out on a date you would do things to prepare for that. You, 
You might put on your best clothes. You might, you know, get your hair done. You might take a shower. Uh, men, you might shave. Ladies, you might get your nails done. You do things to prepare for this important person. You might rehearse things in your mind that you wanted to say to this person. And in this story, John is the forerunner to Jesus. And John the Baptist's job is to kind of prepare people's hearts for the coming of this very important person, the coming of Jesus. And he calls people to repentance, which means a change of mind. And literally, it's a change of mind that leads to a change in behavior. And so he calls people to turn from their sins, to be baptized, symbolizing their forgiveness of sins, and to prepare their hearts for what God is going to do. And it's interesting that John would call these people to be baptized uh, because baptism wasn't something that was uh, that common in that world. Usually when someone was baptized in a once and for all sense, it was when someone who was not Jewish wanted to become Jewish. They would be baptized to signify their new way of life, that their old self was gone and now they were beginning a new life. But here, John the Baptist is calling Jews to be baptized as, long, as well as Gentiles. The point is clear that religious people need to be changed just as much as non-religious people. That even Jewish people who have that ethnic identity, they also need to be baptized. They also need to be changed. They need to prepare for the coming Messiah. And John declares that Jesus is incredibly powerful, incredibly holy. He says that Jesus is so mighty that I'm not worthy to bow down and untie the, sand, the strap of his sandal. Now it's interesting in the ancient world, uh, when someone would, when there would be a great rabbi, the rabbi would also often have disciples or students who would kind of follow him around and would kind of almost act as a, they would learn from him and they would also act as servants to him. And it was told in the ancient world that these disciples were to serve their master in almost every way, but there was an exception. And one of those exceptions was that they would not be required to bow down and untie the sandals of their feet, of their master's feet. That was a job that was too lowly for disciples, too lowly for students. That was only the job of slaves. And John says, in essence, I'm not even worthy to be this great Messiah's slave. He is that mighty, that he is that righteous, he is that holy, he is that strong, that I'm not worthy to bow down and untie his sandal. I'm not worthy to be his slave. But Jesus comes, and He comes not as one demanding praise, not as He doesn't come in pomp and circumstance. He comes up to, G to John, and He comes to be baptized by John. Now, why would Jesus be baptized? I mean, this baptism symbolized the forgiveness of sins, symbolized the change in life, the preparation for the Messiah. So why would Jesus be baptized? Matthew chapter 3, Jesus says that he is baptized to fulfill all righteousness, that it's fitting to fulfill all righteousness. That Jesus is being baptized in order to identify with the people that he's come to save. He's, come, he's being baptized to identify with sinners, even though he had no need of repentance, even though he didn't need to be baptized, he is baptized to identify with sinners. And this demonstrates a profound love and a profound humility that he would go to the point of being baptized. 
that he would identify with the people that he came to save. So Mark shows us how Jesus is very holy. He's very strong, very mighty. And even in the midst of that, he's humble and lowly at heart, filled with love. And so that's the first reason why the Gospel is good news. Why Jesus is good news. Because He is holy. Because He's mighty. Because He has the power to face anything that we might face in our life. To give us that kind of strength. And that even though He's that strong and that mighty, He's lowly and humble. And chooses to identify with lowly people like us. So Jesus is holy. But also, Jesus initiates a recreation. He initiates God's recreation. I'd like to show you some interesting parallels between God's creation of the world that's described in Genesis and Mark's account uh, of Jesus here in the book, in chapter 1. Mark 1, verse 1, it says this, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Genesis 1, 1 says, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, both talking about beginnings here. Mark 1, verse 10 says, And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. So we see this kind of avian imagery. And then in Genesis 1, verse 2, it says, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Again, we see this kind of avian imagery that the Holy Spirit was like a dove or like a bird. Then in Mark 1, verse 11, it says, And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. And Genesis 1, 31, And God saw everything that He had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. See, these parallels seem to indicate that God is beginning a process of recreation. And this passage has kind of caused some people to fall into error who have adopted the belief that Jesus was somehow created or that God somehow adopted him as his son, that, may, that he was like an ordinary person and the God kind of confirmed sonship upon him. So some people have fallen into this error that way. But Jesus isn't the one being created. Jesus always existed from eternity past, one with the Father, three persons, one God, always existing in a love relationship, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So God's not creating Jesus or adopting Jesus. Rather, God is recreating humanity. He's recreating humanity. And Jesus is the first human being to fulfill God's original creation intentions. And Jesus is about to bring, uh, to bring about a new age in human history. According to scholar James Edwards, three things happened to, to indicate that God's kingdom is inbreaking into the world at his baptism, that he's bringing a new kingdom. Mark describes the, the heavens being torn open. It's a word uh, indicating violence. It's a word that's much stronger than the word that's used in some of the other Gospels. And this word was often used to describe the amazing, uh, amazing demonstrations of God's power, such as uh, the parting of the, dead sea, the Red Sea in the Old Testament. And what's interesting was during this, the period before Jesus' birth, there was about 400 years where the Holy Spirit didn't communicate to the prophets. And so you'll have about a 400-year span where we don't have any record of Scripture where God kind of got, went silent. 
And here Jesus is being baptized by John, and the heavens are torn open, indicating that God is returned. His Holy Spirit has returned, and his, He's about to speak once again. It was widely believed that the Messiah would, who, would, who was to come would be filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And it says in the text that when Jesus was baptized, the Spirit of God was descending on Him like a dove. Literally, this could be translated, the Spirit of God was descending into him like a dove. The Holy Spirit was empowering him. The Holy Spirit was giving him strength. The Holy Spirit was giving him the strength that he needed to do the, thing, the task that God had called him to. And we see the final phrase. God says, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. This places Jesus in the line of the prophets being the Son of God, the servant of God, spoken in Isaiah 42.1. It's also interesting to note that Israel in the Old Testament was called God's Son. And Jesus is now going to fulfill the role that Israel was unable to fulfill, to be a light to the world, the light to the Gentiles. And so Jesus is recreating humanity, and He's bringing in a new age. And He's also creating a new people. In addition to these things, we see John's declaration that while he himself baptizes with water, he who is to come will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. That is, John is calling people to repentance and baptism, symbolizing the forgiveness of sins. Yet John's baptism didn't have the power that Jesus' baptism had. Jesus' baptism brought the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus' baptism... When someone would be baptized by Jesus, when they put their faith and trust in Jesus, that would bring power, that would bring the presence of the Holy Spirit in their life to change them from the inside out. It's the promise of the new covenant that's described in Jeremiah chapter 31. It says, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people." And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. So John says, I baptize you with water for the forgiveness of sins. But the one coming is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And when he baptizes you with the Holy Spirit, he's going to change you from the inside out. I'm preparing you for who, him who is to come. This, my baptism symbolizes the forgiveness of sin, but the baptism he gives you is going to change your heart and it's going to make you new. And the Holy Spirit who was to come would also empower believers just like the Holy Spirit empowered Jesus. He would also empower all believers. Jesus said in Acts 1, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so God, through Christ, creates a people for himself who are empowered to live lives of obedience, empowered to be his witnesses, and empowered to do the mission that he causes us, calls us to do. 
So Jesus is good news because Jesus initiates God's recreation, a recreation of our hearts and a giving us a power and empowerment for ministry and making a difference in the world. So Jesus is the gospel. He's the good news. He's completely holy, completely righteous, able to handle anything that we face in our lives. But he's also lowly and humble in heart. And God initiates his Jesus initiates God's recreation by bringing about a new age and creating a new people. And so we as believers are people of the good news. Our mission statement as a church is to live and to tell the indescribable good news of what God has done, is doing, and will do in Jesus. To live and to tell the indescribable good news. That's our mission. That's why we exist as a church. We are people of the good news. The question is, are we living in light of the good news? Or are we living in light of the bad news? Are we living in light of what God has done for us in Christ? Or are we living in light of the bad news of what has been done to us or what we've done? Are we living in light of the gospel? Because when we understand the gospel, it ought to create in us a wonder It ought to create in us an awe that causes us to love God more wholeheartedly. The March-April 2016 issue of Psychology Today uh, tried to give readers a number of reasons why they should try to cultivate awe and wonder in their lives. The article was called, It's Not All About You. It mentioned a number of sources such as researchers from Pennsylvania who defined awe as an emotion of self-transcendence, a feeling of admiration and elevation in the face of something greater than the self. A popular theoretical physicist wrote, awe gives you an existential shock. You realize that you are hardwired to be a little selfish, but you are also dependent on something bigger than yourself. Being enraptured is a way to remove the tyranny of the ego. Therapist Robert Leahy writes, awe is the opposite of rumination. It clears away inner turmoil with a wave of outer immensity. Social scientists found that when people experience a sense of awe, they feel more empathetic and more connected with others. One scientist concluded, wonder pulls us together, a counterforce to all that seems to be tearing us apart. The Warden School of Business finally evaluated the New York Times' most emailed articles and found that the ones that evoked awe were the ones that were most shared. Are we in awe of the gospel? Are we in awe of Jesus? Does the gospel change us from the inside out? When I was, uh, last fall, Stephanie and I went up to Montreal for a conference and uh, I did some research online and I found out about this basilica uh, that was one of the top tourist attractions in Montreal. And uh, so we decided to go there and we walked quite a ways to get there. And uh, we walk up to the building and it was really not that impressive. Not overly large, not overly ornate. And we go to the front door and we see that there's a sign that says, Tickets, $5. And so to look into this church, you had to pay $5 to see what was inside. And I didn't really have my hopes up that much. I had heard it was supposed to be good, but we were there, and we didn't know when we would get back there, so we decided, all right, we'll just pay the 5 bucks and go in and see what this basilica is all about. And so we pay for our tickets, 
and then we walk in. And as I'm walking in, I turn and I look towards the front of the basilica, and my jaw almost literally dropped to the ground. I could not believe the sight that I saw. I, and, and even to this day, I can't begin to describe what this basilica looked like. You know, I've looked at pictures afterwards online, and the pictures cannot do justice to it in any way. I just looked at it, and it was almost like my breath was taken away because I didn't expect it, expect it at all, and I'm just staring there at this most beautiful, one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen in my life. But as I stayed there for a little bit, you know, we walked around and, and looked at things. It started to get a little bit ordinary. So I started looking at it, you know, as I'm leaving, and it doesn't look that great anymore. You know, and I get to a point where it's like, all right, that's, that's cool. Let's go do something else. And I think that's somehow, sometimes how we get in regards to the gospel. When we first come to know Christ, we're in awe of what he's done for us. We're in the awe of the fact that he would forgive us for our sins, that he would go to the cross for us, that he'd give us new life, that he'd put his Holy Spirit within us to make us new and give us the power to serve him. But then over time, it gets common, it gets ordinary. We kind of move on to something else. And maybe we need to be reminded, as Martin Luther said, we need to be reminded every day of the good news of the gospel. That that gospel, Jesus Christ, is what changes everything. Nothing else matters. Mark says, it is the good news. Not a piece of good news. It is the good news that changes everything. Are we in awe of the gospel? Are we in awe of Jesus Christ? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you that while we were yet sinners, you died for us. That you lived a life that we could never live, only to die on the cross, paying for our sins, but three days later, rising again victorious over the grave. God, we thank you for the fact that you're holy, that you're mighty, that you're able to face anything that we face in our lives, that you're able to give us strength. We thank you that you make us new through your Holy Spirit, that you give us a new hope, a new purpose, that you forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God, I pray that we would always be in awe of what you've done for us, that each day we would be transformed by the good news that you provided for us in your Son. God, I pray that we would never move beyond your gospel, that it would be good news to us each and every day. In Christ's name I pray, amen.